Hey there, it's Lisa from the Culinary Chronicles podcast. On this show, I will interview people from all walks of life about their food experiences and culinary journeys. Food, feeding my loved ones, sharing meals, and the conversations and love that fill the table are what this podcast is all about. My father was a butcher, my uncle a baker, and my grandmother's after-school snacks were always a delightful Sicilian treat. I've always celebrated with food and found gathering around a table the most amazing feeling in the world. Culinary Chronicles is my way of sharing this love of food with you. I hope this podcast fills your cup with entertaining tales about the love of food. Emily McInnes. Lisa, thank you for being on my show. Yes, I'm great. How are you? I'm awesome. Thank you. It's (laughs) great to see you. I wish we had a glass of wine with this. We should because the food food podcast. It's true. It's true. But, you know, I'm going to have to make do with my uh, herbal tea and my water combo. All right. You're living wild and dangerously these days, I see. You know, (laughs) that's right. (laughs) So I wanted to thank you for being on my show. Uh, It's called Culinary Chronicles Made with Love Podcast. And I thought of you immediately because you're a female entrepreneur, mom, and just all around cool woman. Can I say cool cat? Is that going to age me? Um, okay. Cool woman that I've always like loved chatting to and laughing with. And um, even though we haven't spent a ton of time together, I think, you know, when we do see each other, we can laugh like this and just reconnect where we left off. I'm Agreed. a big fan of your son. He's like how I want my son to be because he's such a sweetie. Oh. And um, I've admired your husband from afar since the day you met him. I was there. So, um Thanks for being on my show. And yeah, I wanted you to like introduce yourself to tell everyone who is listening and what you're all about and what you do and who you Aww. are. Thanks, Lisa. Well, it's a mutual admiration society always with you. And uh, I also have vivid memories of meeting you for the first time and you just moved from London. And uh, we hung out in High Park in Toronto. And had a good time. So yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, I started, um, an online gallery selling art online 15 years ago. And we were one of the very first galleries selling art online in that way. And so the business has come far in that time. And when you're online, naturally that is going to happen because it's a constantly evolving entity. Um, so now fast forward, I, I have, um, five kind of prongs to my business. It's kind of an art enterprise, if you will. Um, so I have an incredible director, Rose Eakins, who runs the e-commerce side of the platform and, uh, and I've shifted into, uh, working with corporations and placing art for, corporate clients and also doing partnerships with various corporations as well. So there's, you know, lots of different, lots of different, um, ways to approach art and, and make art approachable. That's amazing. And yeah, the art I see behind you is stunning and I love all the stuff that you post on your website. And I've been to some of the gallery openings and just the talent of the people that you represent and promote and, you know, connect with is just I wish I had an ounce of that, but um, I can talk, so I can't paint, but I can talk. So, <laughs> um, I have a I have a question. So, as a working mom, and you know, you've been super busy since the moment I met you. 
How do you nourish yourself? How do you nourish your son? What's your kind of relationship with food? That's such a good question. And it's an essential question because we all have to do that. And it, it's tricky. Like, you know, I'm not going to lie. There's been some low moments where, you know, we're just kind of grab and go, you know, in necessity situations. But I would say for the most part, I'd become like a total expert at the like 30 minute healthy meal. Like just really oh, good at like great. quickly scanning the fridge and like, you know, just making sure that there's like at least some vegetables going on. Um, and then just like making something out of whatever's there. So I have to say that actually is my approach. I'm not a fancy food person. Like I'm, I'm, I'm just not that person. Like it's, it's, and I enjoy a great meal, but I actually prefer what, if I'm going out, I actually really prefer like a more kind of like hidden gem type of place, like more local, like that feels like it's the pulse of the neighborhood or the pulse of that culture, as opposed to like that kind of the white linen, it feels kind of posturing, not posturing, because that's not fair, because I do understand there's artistry there. But, um, you know, there's, I feel like there's like, like, well, okay, a facade of some sort, like, you know, and, and I like when you, when it's a more kind of local experience. Oh, anyway, I diverted from the question that you originally asked, which is how do I nurse the family? And, and, no, uh, you know, I think it's about being prepared and organized, but that's also not always the easiest thing. Like sometimes I, I've run out of groceries and it's really hard to find time to just go, literally go buy food. Right. So. I'm sure you've been in that position too. Every mom, every parent has. Yeah, I feel like the online grocery revolution, especially Instacart, is just a lifesaver because if I wake up in the middle of the night, I can't sleep. I'm like, oh, let me order groceries for the rest of the week. And we're having people over. Oh, let me order stuff. And I cannot believe the speed and the the affordability of just having it delivered to you for, you know, a $10 tip, getting all your groceries, someone going to Costco and, you know, fighting that crowd and then coming to your door and you're like, oh, I didn't have to do that for three hours today. So oh, exactly. I'm, I'm shocked and amazed, but yeah. Well, like yeah, also, but going back to your hidden gems. No, it's just going to say, like, I think another thing about, you know, running my own business is I grab a minute where I can, like, so I do tend to like shop during times that are not like peak hours on a weekend right so anyway do you like grocery shopping or do you um I used to really like it and now I don't know like depends it depends it depends like I like grocery (laughs) shopping when I'm traveling I love going and seeing like grocery stores in foreign countries like I actually seek them out like when I was in India, I'm I was like, same. I love it. I love seeing all the like different products and, you know, what people are shopping for. I like seeing, again, like another way to kind of get a slice of life in a different culture, right? That isn't uh, sort of like prescribed for tourists or whatever. Yes. I love foreign grocery stores. I can't believe you said that. That's one of my favorite things to do. Just like all the packaging and like, especially if you go to Chinatowns, like they have stuff in jars and food that, and fruits and vegetables you've never seen in kind of North America that you're just like, wow. Or even 
when you go to Europe and you see like an almond in its original shell, you're like, what is that? And they're like, there's an almond in there. You're like, oh, I've never seen it, you know, in the raw form from the tree. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So going back to your hidden gems, what's what hidden gems do you love? I'm actually uh, kind of living hybrid between a couple of cities. And I tend to be somebody who, even though I have a child and he does go to school, I tend to be on the move a lot. But some of my favorite go-tos, hmm, like in terms of going to restaurants or like that type of thing. Yeah, I mean, if you love a certain restaurant in a city or a neighborhood for restaurants or like if you go to New York, where do you always go? Because you're always at art shows in New York. Like where do you yeah, say I mean, like, oh my gosh, I have to go to so some so-and-so every, every I'm time in I New visit. York a lot. Okay, so one of my things that I like to do is I like to try out Dan Dan noodles uh, in different places, like in different cities and different restaurants. And everybody has their own version of the Dan Dan noodle. And my son and I were in New York this summer and I introduced him to the Dan Dan noodle and now he's like completely obsessed as well. Um, and in Toronto, this is not, you know, this isn't like any kind of secret hidden place, but Momofuku has like one of my favorites, but it's like, it's almost a test of will because have you ever, have you ever had their, it's, it's like a, a cold spicy noodle. Actually, is it cold? Well, room temperature, like spicy noodle. And they serve it with a glass of milk because it actually is so insanely spicy that Oh no! I've there's been that. times where I've been eating with people, and they're like, "Yeah, I, like I literally can't do this." <laughs> I love it. I love. I love like spicy noodles. Is like my thing. I love it. So your son likes that spice too? Totally. Oh I know. Gosh. So is Dan Dan the spice level, or is that like I don't know a lot about Dan Dan noodles? Is that? Um. Yeah, it's generally a noodle with spice, and then okay, you know how like different people interpret that is what is interesting about it so yeah but yeah Gideon's Gideon's always been like an incredibly adventurous eater like I remember somebody stopping us at we were I was pushing him in like the grocery cart and I think he might have been like one and a half two at the most and he was like honking back a tray of sushi and like every, a lot of kids eat sushi, but you know, this guy was just like, geez, what is this? Is, is your kid eating sushi at this age? And he's like, yeah, kids are so fancy these days. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Adventurous eating with kids. I feel very blessed. I like, you know. Yeah. Well, especially if they're exposed to sushi at that age. That's amazing. Like my son loves oysters and he's four. That's awesome. And the first time I thought he would be like, oh, gross. But I guess that's an adult thing because he never had any experience or no one ever said gross. So when he tasted it, he was like, oh, this is yummy. And I was like, oh, okay. I'm glad nobody preempted him to say like, oh, gross, slimy. And he loves them whenever we go to restaurants. Like, mommy, can we have oysters? And like the the waiter's always like, yeah. Oh, that's the best. That's my child. (laughs) That's the best. Yeah. It's so fun to... Um, well, there's also something really satisfying about seeing your child eat in the in the first place, and like when they're eating nutrients, and like I literally feel like I'm there's like a visceral reaction that I'm having. Um, 
But I remember reading something when Gideon was just a tiny little baby and it said like that when they start eating their very first food to put a little bit of spice or flavor into, you know, like Uh. when you're mushing up carrots, like add a little bit of mint or when you're serving them, you know, whatever, like mushed up lentils or something, like add a little turmeric or like a little whatever, curry powder or cinnamon. And um, and so I did that. And so I, I don't have a, like a, a test to know whether it was because of that, that he is so adventurous or because I just kind of locked out with him. But, but I did follow yeah. that advice and, you know, I'm glad I did just in case. Yeah, I feel like I was the same, always like throwing in turmeric and cinnamon because it's so good for you. And now he asks for the cinnamon every day to put on his oatmeal and he asks for like he eats spicy stuff and Mm -hmm. yeah you're right I'm not sure if that's a scientific correlation or it's just his body is like okay I like this now and yeah yeah I bought sausage the other day and I wasn't sure if it was spicy and then I tried to go oh this might be spicy and I put in his lunch and he ate it all I was like did you eat that he's like yeah it was yummy I'm like okay so he liked the spice and yeah it it sounds like a palate for it it sounds like he's super adventurous yeah, he sounds like Gideon. Yeah. Um, what speaking of that, like what are your favorite foods in your house? What does Gideon love to eat? What is Jonathan like? What's like or even your favorite foods? Like what could you die for right now? I love something that's fresh. Like I I I literally crave you know when um let's say tomato let's use tomatoes as an example. So a tomato in the summer off the vine that's been grown like locally um maybe it's uh, an heirloom variety uh that like that experience versus you know the dead of winter uh where you know basically don't buy them because they're like woody or you know super expensive um so i just think like really buying like for me that's that's what I like to start as my base is to just have like like fresh food. It's like when you're when you're yeah, just like whatever looks fresh. Um, so you know, as much as possible, like buying from market stands as in the summer and then in the winter, just you know how it is. You go to the grocery store and I find like certain stores are better than others in terms of having like like a nice fresh looking food so that's my go-to and then I don't know if this is more abnormal but we never really tend to eat the same thing over and over again like I don't know why that is we're just maybe it's too boring like cool and we're terrible (laughs) with leftovers and Jonathan and my husband he's the same way and Gideon too like okay but it's like really epic we're happy to eat it again but otherwise we're like one and done like just move on like not (laughs) leftovers people so I don't know like pasta Indian food like the you know Indian is prevalent in the house all the Asian foods Vietnamese Japanese like so um you know that's about it a good pantry full of all the sauces and spices well exactly like just having those staples um so because we eat food from like so many different cultures the the cupboards are overflowing with all the all the things right like because every culture you kind of need to have those like staples like 
fish sauce or moving on to Indian food. You need your coconut milks and your, you know, your different spices. And so, yeah. 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 Someone came over once for my birthday to make me a pad thai and they brought Thai basil. And I had always grown up with Italian basil. I was like, that's not basil. They're like, yeah, it's basil. I was like, no, no, that's not basil. They're like, that's basil. I'm like, really? But I was in my 20s. I didn't know there was different types of basil. So I was yeah. like, oh, they're like, this is Thai basil. So. But that, you know what? That's actually a really interesting point because they're like, it's funny how we get so locked into eating like the same foods. And like, maybe it is partly because that's what's provided to us in the grocery stores. For example, we um, went to TNT market um a couple days ago my son's having his 11th birthday party tomorrow and Ooh. he wanted ramen so he like he wants to serve ramen to all his guests and At his birthday yep I love and him. and so we go to tnt and we were like um i, I t- like i had bought him like some interesting kind of out of the box kind of fruits from tnt like a couple weeks before and then we were like oh, why don't we have like a crazy fruit party? So we'd like made it a mission to like buy all the different fruits that we hadn't like, they could get in the cart if we had never heard of them. Um, so we, yeah, we like, I actually had to take pictures of the names of them and the parties tomorrow. So I can't report yet as to like how any of them are, but um Oh yeah, I just thought that Please was fun. Please take video. That yeah. would be so great to see kids like showing up and seeing like all the dragon fruits and yeah, we we did we got we got a dragon fruit and yeah, like it's just fun, you know, because like YouTube, like there's like literally everything, so you can just like Google. Oh, like what is a? I can't remember. Lo, lo, I can't remember actually the name of any of these fruits. They were literally things I'd never heard of but the kids can look it up on youtube and then figure out how to like open the fruit the only thing we drew oh they're gonna cut and open them themselves yeah 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 totally oh my gosh (laughs) yeah um oh my gosh the only thing i drew the line on was the durian because i i you know i'm like there's no way we're doing that yeah i've had it before it's actually quite tasty and we did a partnership with um Patois, the restaurant in Toronto. Yep. On Dundas, Chef Craig Wong. We did durian popsicles for him when we had our bakery. Awesome. Well, and they were pretty good. They yeah. are. The durian, the flavor is good. Uh, but when I was living in Vancouver in my 20s, I, funny uh, that maybe this is where the inspiration came from, but I, I had like a huge dinner party. There was like 40 people, sit down dinner, and it was potluck. Um, but we bought a durian and cracked it open like this piece de resistance at the end of the night like <laughs> smashed like opened it up and I almost passed out I gotta tell you like it was the most <laughs> nasty like fumes like almost singed my eyelashes off like it was so intense and like the, so oh that's, my gosh. but I have had durian ice cream and it's like well that's you know it's good yeah, tastes normal I... not like bar essentially that is so funny because i've never (laughs) smelled it in that form where it's really horrible but when i was in singapore and indonesia there was huge size at the front of hotels like do not bring durian in here do not like big big photos of durian with a big red being like do not come in the hotel i'm like what the heck is that that's like a fruit (laughs) okay well listen if your son never wants a party trick for his friends get a 
brand new durian and like crack <laughs> it open durian? at the party. <laughs> Make everyone's eyebrows fall off. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, if all the kids oh are, they're gosh, always looking that. for entertaining party ideas. So you never know. Oh, yeah. That would be the talk it, of the town. It would probably I love be this a fruit hit. thing. I'm going to... I'm going to try that maybe for our Christmas party. Yeah. Like it's a weird Christmas fruit party. Yeah. That's so funny. So if you were to have another large dinner party, like who would you love to have at your table? And I mean, it could be artists, live, dead. I know this question may be cheesy. You know, anyone live or dead, but who would you love to like sit around and. Oh, but it's like, it's such a great question. And it's so fun to dream about those things. And it's mm -hmm. a relevant question because I have to say, especially over the pandemic, like I'm a very social person. I love being around large groups of people. I like being, uh, I like conversation and I really like intellectual conversation, like talking about something and cracking at it, like getting deep into it. Um, and so I was just pining, like over the pandemic, I was really pining, like thinking, I can't wait until I can like roll out a big little table and just have like a salon style event. And I don't know, I think it would be great to have people there from different cultures. Like we've become friends with a Syrian family. Um, and they're new immigrants. And we met them through an organization called Friends of the Family. So it was initially a volunteer type of situation. And we, you know, we'd become friends. And just the like antics around the food thing with them is pretty awesome. Like the, like the, like the things Bushra has never tried. Like she's never tried a salty sweet combo. Like she's like, that doesn't exist in my culture. And so for, cause and we eat that all the time being like real anyway. Um, so I digress, but so to have like, I think cultures bring different perspectives and food is a way to crack into conversation. Right. And so, yeah, I think it, it, there's a metaphor there in a way for, um, the type of, of gathering that I would love to have is, um, I also get, I'm very inspired by other people's stories and what people are up to in their life. You know, um, of course you understand that this is the thrust of your podcast and hearing about different people's stories. So I think I've, I've just always been inspired by really, really strong women who've achieved, uh, you know, incredible things. And so I think there'd be a combination of like having some of my inner circle of like women friends who I look up to so much at this salon, the salon in my mind. I um, love the with salon. Some yeah. of my my newcomer friends who, you know, people we've just met, and then I must say, um, you're, you're you're asking me to answer the question, and I'm kind of going off on a different path, but. My no, ideal, that's fine. my ideal dinner party is, and I, I have to say, I got this inspiration from my friend Jack, who was one of the founders of Truffle Pig, and he moved to Toronto, and um, he knew nobody except like the people in the office. He was actually working with Butterfield and Robinson at the time, um, so okay. he, so he 
ended up hosting these dinners at his apartment where he was living in Toronto. And the caveat was that he would invite every weekend, he'd have a, a different, a new dinner party. And every guest, it was like one friend from work, because that was all he knew. And that one friend from work had to invite somebody that they really liked or admired. Nobody knew. Yeah. So he just started like throwing dinner parties every single weekend based on that. And it was such a cool idea. And I was one of the guests. Like I was actually, I think it was Greg or Charlie. Uh, one of them brought me and I ended up bringing one of my girlfriends and we got invited back the next weekend. And they, he was like, bring more of your friends. So we, we all like really uh, became super good friends after that. But the point being that I think that that's such a fun idea too, is like set your guests up and then get them to bring whoever they think is like one of the more interesting people that they know in their life that we can't, and we can't know them already. So I love that. I yeah. love that. Have you, have you heard of Jeffersonian dinners? No. So Jeffersonian dinners are based on this thing that Thomas Jefferson did back when he was the, pre the president of the United States. And he would invite, I can't remember the exact details, um, but it would be, he would, he would invite like 12 people from different walks of life to dinner. Uh, don't quote me if it was 12, but they wouldn't be able to talk about like, oh, what do you do? Like, you know, the boring conversation that people have, they would talk about topics and subjects. So, and it wouldn't be, you know, conversation with the person next to you. It would be like an open question. Let's talk about um, karma. And then everyone would talk about what karma means to them. And then they'd be like, oh, let's talk about like, so it was a, a fascinating structure that I was invited to a party like that. You had to be a stranger and you didn't have to know. It. And the person who hosts the dinner has to do it as like a, a service. And it was just the one that I went to was 12 strangers, like crying and, you know, like connecting in such a beautiful way over a two hour dinner that was just so wonderful and mysterious and nobody knew what it was all about. And then, so yeah, Jeffersonian dinners, you should, you should host one because it's all about like instead of the board like oh what do you do what's your job like it's all about like a theme or a topic or a subject that is you know gonna inspire some intellectual discussion yeah I love that I love that idea for sure I think yeah just I think people in general and just like things that don't feel super conventional or you know like I don't know just like I'm the type of person and just like and I'm sure you're like this too where I'm like just because it's all, you know, supposed to be done in such a way doesn't mean we have to do that, right? Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yes. I, yes, that's exactly me. Like, it's because we've done this all this time this way. Like, let's do it differently or let's make it more interesting or let's, you know, meet new people and let's do new things. Totally. So, yeah. Like, you know, especially in our businesses, like we have to be thinking that way and like, I love innovation. I love it. Like, I, it's my go-to. I can't even help myself. Like, I love just trying to, like, think creatively and differently and playing with it yeah. a bit, right? And it's yeah. funny, Truffle Pig, Charlie's wife is going to be on the podcast, Hope. Yeah. So I think, I think you know Hope, yeah. Yeah, well, I introduced yeah. you guys. Oh, 
Thank you. Okay. I totally <laughs> forgot about that. Yeah, I, re- I just remember it came up a bunch of years ago and I just, I knew you would hit it off. I knew it. Like you have very similar yeah. kind of, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love Hope. I love her vibe. And yeah, so when they took their kids around the world for a year, mm-hmm. um, I said, you have to stop in Sicily and meet my family. And they went to Sicily to this tiny village where my family's from and they made pasta together with my family that don't speak English. They don't speak Italian. And they were <laughs> FaceTiming me, having a great old time laughing and eating oh, and like rolling so dough. Awesome. And I was like, I was actually sitting in this like seat here and I was like, I can't believe this. Like Charlie and Hope are having a blast with their kids, like cooking with my family and nobody could understand That's a word. And they the best. They said my aunt kept rolling out like more cheese and more wine and more salamis and and they stayed like hours and hours. And, like we thought we would leave in like, you know, a regular two hours long. They were there like all night. That's so funny. And I, yeah, I actually like remember that. I remember, I mean, I remember the trip, but I remember that specifically. I can, one of you must have told me about it. Um, and I, you know, oh, Hope so would have funny. posted pictures about it too, but probably. Yeah. 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 That's so great. I so love that like she's going to be coming up yeah. on your podcast. That's amazing. Yes, I'm super excited. And that's like connecting through food without even having connection through language. It's it's such a a magical thing. Exactly. Are you looking for a unique way to connect and entertain your team? Join us in Toronto or virtually and let us host the most fun events for your team with food. Great for teams of any size, La Dolce Culinary Classroom Studio in Toronto offers different packages to suit every event organizer's needs. Have your team make gnocchi pasta from scratch and then enjoy it with a glass of wine. Or try our wine and chocolate tasting series where you'll have your very own sommelier guiding you through several wines and yummy chocolates to discover the aroma, taste, and finish of each one. Or how about getting your teams to be cake boss for a day? They will design and build a cake and win prizes on their creativity, height, and style. Of course, eating buttercream mistakes is all part of the fun. Great for client entertaining, sales meetings, conferences, and more. And if you're interested in learning more, drop an email to events at ladolci.com and they will organize something fantastic for you. Do you have any like artists that you admire or that their work involves like playing with food or I'm not sure if that's, I'm sure it's something that's done, but is there anyone that is doing cool things with yeah, food and uh, art sure. or I guess maybe even the still lifes that do food painting, but yeah. even like more interactive stuff? That's right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I actually have three right off the top of my head. Um, and uh, so this artwork that you see in the background, her name's Kristen Sharda. I love it. Um, so she is, she has a Dutch background. And so she's, um, you know, she, but she's a woman. She's a photographer and uh, contemporary, right? So like that's where it veers from um, the Dutch Renaissance, but she creates these like epic photographs. And they're they're mainly about, flowers and flowers that she grows in her garden uh, and she gets the birds and the nests and eggs from the ornithology department at the wrong but she 
for sure uses food, food like that. You know, she initially started building these photographs in her kitchen. They grew very organically from her just bringing flowers into the back. Like she had three boys, young boys, like running around. Um, so she was like building these artworks in in her kitchen, and so food naturally just like came into it and was like a big part of so that's one artist that I've seen where it's used because that's life that's the contemporary life that we live as a mom as a woman as a business person as you know trying to run a family operate a kitchen get food on the table like how food is incorporated into her art is just part part of what makes like why the pieces like when you see it as a still photograph it elevates that role we have in a really beautiful way that takes the narrative to like another place right um and it helps us kind of slow down and focus in on the fact that like kind of up respect for those roles that we play um there's another artist i wanted to mention her name is Jenna Sturback, and she did uh, an artwork. I, I can't remember the exact title of it, uh, but she made something called a meat dress where she... Oh, yes. Yeah. So that may ring a bell for a few people because she made this yes. meat dress and she showed it in a commercial gallery and like, you know, to no fanfare whatsoever. But then the National Gallery of Canada decided to show this meat dress. And that's when all hell broke loose, basically. Like people went absolutely holistic and crazy. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, and it's an intense piece, but like talk about using food in art, right? So, um, like the metaphors and the narratives we could go on and on and on and on about like um a woman wearing a dress that was made from sewing steaks together uh into oh, like into gosh. a dress and so you know this there uh, there was like a performative aspect <laughs> to it but one part of it is like if you're thinking about like skin right like this is literally what's inside of us Ugh. So there's lots of little, like, not little, there's lots of, like, layers to peel back, like, no pun intended. Um, but, yeah, just <laughs> just the, um, like, how the clothes we wear and the per personas we take on through how we present ourselves. Um, so anyway, th like, that's that's probably one of the more famous examples of how. So why did she make that dress? Like, what was that? Was it part of some kind of statement or was it? For sure. I mean, you I'm know, it's an artist and there's a story to tell. There's a narrative that she wanted to communicate. And 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 thus there you have the uh, incredible power of art to be able to disseminate a, a story in a way that is a, a different type of language than if we're just talking about it an issue or uh, so the fact that she chose raw meat um, stitched it together there was like 40 50 pounds of it um, oh into gosh. a dress that a, a an actual woman wore so there's 
there's the the feminist piece around that. There's a like a you know there's a conversation like again like we could go down so many different roads and yeah, um, and it was hugely controversial on on so many different levels. Like people were so offended, but then like how exciting is that? Like at least spark conversation and dialogue, and it's still an iconic oh, yeah. piece, and it's still now like something that's come gone down in the canons of our history as this um, kind of incredibly provocative piece. Yeah. Wow. I do remember that. That was, that's, and who's the third? Did you, you said you had third, yeah, yeah. three. Um, oh, Lisa, you're going to have to help me with this guy's name. I must say, I'm going to have to Google it here. Um, oh, so okay. he's an Italian, uh, Giuseppe Archimbaldo. So yeah, he, it all right. Archimbaldo. Archimbaldo, like a British Archimbaldo, surname. Archimbaldo, Giuseppe. So an Italian <laughs> painter. Um, and and now when I describe it to you, it, it's probably going to be familiar. So he made these like incredibly imaginative um, portraits. In uh, and we're talking like 1500s, by the way. Um, but he painted okay. these unbelievable portraits. You're going to have to look it up. Of uh, and, and the portraits were made from vegetables. Does this sound familiar at all? No. Wait. So the the composition is all vegetables to create a portrait. Yeah. I don't know if oh, I can show okay. you this. Yeah, I'll I'll link this in the show notes. Or oh yeah, I feel like I've seen that. Yeah, yeah. Like they're famous That's, now. But yeah. I mean, I would say that like oh. Like, you know, the many different, um, you know, ways that people have used food in art. Like, this is probably one of the more famous ones. Like, wow. they're, 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 yeah, they're still powerful, incredible. Like, this was how, like 500 years ago, and they're still. I was going to say, has anyone so, done that since? I don't know. I mean, you know, like, I don't know. It's you can't like maybe That's, right like there's probably been contemporary interpretations and there's like probably like Mona Lisa's made of it and like you know who knows yeah. but <laughs> yeah um, but yeah he's definitely um, the guy food he's Art, the guy fifteen hundred he's, he's Giuseppe the That's right good old my Giuseppe. dad's name there we go oh Giuseppe yeah yeah. My dad, and he was a butcher too, so he links to uh, Jenna and Giuseppe, and <laughs> also, did you always love food and cooking, or were you a teenager? Because I've met people in the past that have said, "I just eat to eat." So, have you always loved food? I think me growing up, I've always loved food, and then I've met people like one one person I dated who said, "You know, they they just eat, and they would have just um, jack of potato and beans every day in the microwave, and that was just to fuel them and." fill them and I was just I'd never met someone that didn't love food so was that something what was your like upbringing in terms of food because you you grew up in a French family or no no uh I don't know 1970s so, okay. kind of like regular old Canadian household oh uh, uh okay n nothing nothing exciting on that front um what I will say is that uh we ate some pretty crappy meals when I was a kid. <laughs> Sorry, mouth. But 
Like she was, she, she ended up having a career. And so, um, my dad, like a cool career, a very cool career. Yeah. She's, she was a legend for sure. Um, but my dad, like in sometime there was like strange period in the eighties when all of a sudden my dad, like totally took over the cooking and previous to this just so you know if like my mom wasn't whole like very traditional old school right if my mom wasn't whole and my dad had to cook it would be bacon and eggs like that was the only thing he knew how to do but then all of a sudden in the 80s I think they went to Italy and all of a sudden like it was like pastas and like lasagna and like all these like I don't know like parmesans so yeah like it, it transformed and then and then he decided he would go on this, like, so that lasted like a decade. And then the 90s were like all about India. Like my dad cooked Indian food. Um, I don't know. I feel like for another decade. Like he would Did get... he go to India? Was he no. inspired after no. travel? Or... No. I mean, he's, they've been since. Um, they've been since. But uh, yeah. So, so anyway, for me, I have to say it's changed. Like I am. Um, foodie in the sense that like I'm oh, like that's to me that's what traveling is that's what the exploration of cultures is that's what I, I don't know like get cravings and like all the things but um over the over the decades the relationship with like how I eat and what changes like in you know during my 30s when I was single and living on my own in Toronto and hanging out with my gal pals all the time. Like I'd like run home, grab something, feel the tank. Like it didn't matter what it was, like maybe just rice and something like just to kind of get her out the door. Right. And keep on going like there, you know, so there was like, like there wasn't a lot of, um, for me a focus. And then when you become a parent, like that's a whole thing. Like I became completely into the purest possible food when you're feeding a little like tiny baby and your life feels like and their life is in your hands like you've I'm sure you've we've all experienced that but like yeah I was the same yeah so once you have to feed another human then you're like what is going into this person's body because I'm responsible for their health and well-being now so yeah it's okay to put crap into my system but they're so innocent. I don't want to fill them with no exactly crappy stuff. So yeah, exactly. So it's you know it's changed. It's evolved over the years. Yeah, that's good. Good to hear. And then what you've traveled a lot and you've been to a lot of places. It could be more than one. But what's your like best meal or food experience that you've had on your travels or in oh your yeah own, oh my god I love know. that question. I would say your own home, but I would pick an external one. Yeah. No, I love that question and like. I actually, that one is so easy to answer because it's so epic oh. that it it's for sure. Uh, so when, let's see, it would have been around um, the, in the early 2000s, I was living in Botswana in Africa and I was working at like a five star plus 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 like safari camp. Um, in Botswana, right Ooh, on wow. the edge of the Makati Kari, which is a salt pan the size of Switzerland. And every, so this was like an outdoor camp, like there was no running water, no electricity, but it was like 
you know, like off the charts, incredible, beautiful, like 600 billion count thread sheet, you know, linens on your bed and <laughs> like crystal goblets at the dining table um, under a tent, you know, where the somebody f- sang you at dinner. Pretty and- much. Not, not, <laughs> not like horrible colonial, but, you know, also like it was, um, it was just fancy. And so every, every few nights, um, we would, uh, at the, and this camp like attracted kind of an unusual traveler. Like it wasn't like the Kenya experience where people were there to see like the big five, which is like all the main kind of elephant, giraffe, whatever. Um, like, cause there was nothing at this, at, in this part of Botswana, like it's a salt pan. Like, like people are like, well, what, you know, why would I go there? There's nothing to see but it, i actually the so the people who came to this camp had done their research so they were interesting people inherently in and of itself um and so i remember every so every few nights we would take these guests out on a surprise like out into the middle not the middle of the salt pan but like let's say to you know in there um then you'd go out on quad bikes so you would have um, like a 360 degree view of complete flatness and there was no light pollution wow. because there was no light sources. And um, so at one point, uh, so the, the whole thing was that I'm going to totally give the, give the surprise away, but we would surprise the guests because I was working there as one of the staff. And so every three nights we would have dinner out on the pan and people thought they were just like going out for a little ride and going back to the camp for dinner, but we would set up a fly camp so that the table and the chairs, the linens, the, the crystal goblets, the silverware, like the, you know, the whole deal was set up as a table in the middle of nowhere and how many people um there'd be like usually about 12 people 12 guests or so um and the sun would go down and then that's when the show would start in terms of like the unbelievable stars because because of their like their lack of light pollution like there was just it was pure blackness so there was this one night where um, it was a lion researcher's family, and they were guests of the owners, Ralph and Catherine. And there was like four or five kids, and it was his birthday. And the parents were the lion researchers, like kind of in the area. And so they had joined us on this dinner. And I had like one of the most epic conversations with one of the kids who was uh, living in, you know with them in the camp and we all got to eat chocolate cake because it was his birthday and like just eating chocolate cake out in this like like it's it's a it's a moment that you're gonna dine on in life forever you know what I mean wow and what how far were you to the closest town or village is it uh is far it still- like you'd have to take for the most part you would get around by plane like those little Cessnas would come in and drop people off and pick. So they acted not like quite a, exactly like a taxi, but that's how we mostly got around. But you could drive like Maun was the closest town and it was about a three and a half hour drive through bush oh and bramble and whatnot. So yeah, we were really out there 
it was, it was really, I mean, you know, I could go on and on. It was like a really epic experience for sure. So why did people go there if there was nothing to do there? Like what, just to go and have that experience of luxury or was it, was there? Well, so there was stuff to do, but you had to do your research. Like it wasn't like I said, it wasn't like the Kenya experience, which is what everybody thinks yeah. of, you know, when they think of like Africa in quotation marks. Um, the there was uh, the the Bushmen tribe uh, were lived nearby, so they're the guys who have that click language, like they speak it. And so, yeah, yeah. Um, you would go, you would like learn about their culture and go on walks with them and there's a lot that goes on in a desert uh so it but it's on a microscopic scale but depending on the time of year you were there you would also be able to witness uh migrations so like zebra like by the thousands moving through right like so um and there were lions for sure like hence the lion researchers but also, it was it was kind of cool because you really were on their on their turf. So they were more wow. aggressive than they would be in other parts of like, let's say, Africa. I mean, I say that that's a generalization, but, you know, they weren't used to people. <laughs> the right? continent of Africa. <laughs> but and, and yeah, and, and it, oh, was, wow. it was it uh, was it was an experience of the cosmos like you've never seen before. Like and I think the privilege of me being able to live there for so long i was there for six months the way the moon phases would like light up like you know when we when we ate that chocolate cake we i could see colors like out walk i went for a walk and you could see the colors people were wearing on it because it was like the moon was was full oh my that night and so and then when the moon was like just a little sliver that you know it was like it was like fireworks on pods like there was so much density in the sky that like like the people it would actually move people to tears um you know because i can't imagine like you only being able to go like for one night to experience that like and i was so lucky to be able to do that for for such a long time wow that's like i'm getting goosebumps just thinking of that you know quiet and stillness and the light like not having that busyness of any kind of like light pollution yeah and like even like you know why were you how did you find that place yeah i guess you did your research but no no like that's a whole story too like um so i was i was actually like moonlighting let's call it in the music industry i worked in the electronic music industry for a while with a friend who was uh, producing dj tours and we were in Miami for the Winter Music Conference uh, one year, and I ran into my friend Dorsey, and Dorsey was working for the American photographer Peter Beard. So Peter Beard is like, I don't know how to describe him uh, other than, you know, like, let's call him like the vanity fair of photographers. But like, so he hung out with like the Kennedys and like was from that era of, wow. of um, and his photographs were of Africa he would take photos you know on safari in Africa and and he became friends with um Ralph and Catherine who owned the safari camp so Dorothy was working with Peter and um her job was to set up Peter's exhibitions um all around the world so she happened to be in Miami I ran into her and she said 
why don't you come to Africa with me? And, uh, you know, I'm bringing a bunch of Peter Beard collectors on a safari and you could work there with me. And I said, okay, sure. Why not? And like got rid of all my (laughs) stuff and like just picked up and left. And because I knew that the music industry was fun, but it wasn't my end game. And I missed being in art. That was one, you know, that was where I was really weaned on, on art. And so, um, so that was my foray back into art through this experience actually. And with, um, Peter Beard and company. So it was, it was a pretty lucky, the whole thing was lucky. Like, yes, that is totally lucky. That's just, yeah, it's incredible. That's crazy. Yeah, that camp is still oh around. You can look it well, up. It's called um, Jack's Camp. Yeah, what's it called? Jack's Camp. So it's, are they, what's what's their background, Rolf and Catherine? So they're not together anymore. They were a couple of Ralph Bowsfield, um, and he ended up selling it. It was, so Jack's, Jack was um, Ralph's father, and so oh. the camp was named in honor of Ralph's father, Jack, Jack's Camp, and Ralph has since sold the camps to, oh, I'm not, I'm not sure the company name, but yeah. But Jack's okay, camp cool. itself, the name and the place still exists. And it's gotten even fancier, so if you can believe it. Oh my God. The fanciness <laughs> of like Zimbabwe and, you know, South Africa is just unparalleled. Like the stuff that you see and get there, you're like, is this real? Like, yeah, so... I can imagine the the level of what did you say five star plus plus <laughs> five star plus plus that's crazy. exactly yeah no but it's so cool to have an experience wow. like that in like a tent situation I guess now it's like glamping but I don't know back then yeah, it was that wasn't a thing and I don't know it's Africa it was and you're in a desert on a salt pan like I don't know it's just yeah. Like, listen, travel, It's a food, unique experience. It, right? Like, you asked me this question initially to talk about, like, so what was, like, your most memorable meal? Well, you know, it's, it's, your the food itself is, I think, uh, a gateway into, like, the, cir- what was the circumstance around it? it? What was the conversation? Who were yeah. the guests? Where were we sitting? Like, there was a whole, like, there's a whole experience attached to that that is that can't be removed from the food right and I asked this question to a lot of people and 95% of the time the experience is not in the person's home country it's while they were traveling it's while they were either on Mm -hmm. holiday or doing something you know magnificent as that so yeah I think it's the whole theater around the meal 100% that's such a great way of saying it, the theater around the meal. And I think it doesn't surprise me that most people's epic experiences would be, um, you know, um, traveling because we're, we're opened up. When we're at home, we're in routine. And so we're not, we're not as like conscious of the experience, right? Like when we travel, I feel like maybe we're a little bit more um opened up to possibility, to new things, to inspir- being inspired by uh, stuff that just isn't familiar, right? And that's, and that's the magic yeah. and the beauty right there. Yeah. And I think you just hit on it too, the familiar 
when you are abroad, the unfamiliar is thrilling and exciting. So if someone said to me, do you want to go on an ATV tour in the dark outside of Toronto? I'd be like, no, thank you. But if someone said that to me in Botswana, I'd be like, yes, that sounds like amazing. Like, totally. So I think Sign me up. Going to a new country. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. ATVing in the dark? Yes. Let's could be dangerous right. but I like, don't care yeah, like, I know exactly what you mean like like if somebody was like hey do you want to like go take a cold plunge like tonight I'd be like ah no thanks um it's no freezing thanks. but when like, you're in Iceland you'd be like oh yeah this is like the theater of Iceland <laughs> that's right exactly exactly it's all context it's theater it's theater exactly yeah I feel like there's very so many similarities between art and food and the theater of food and the theater of art and the presentation of art and um yeah i think i think i've so really too. enjoyed our chat yeah yeah, yeah. i'll, I'll just like, so finish by i just wanted to say that like i think actually you're right like when you when you look at like that theatrical experience and that that zone that we're in when we're traveling and experiencing something new that that is what art can do right like art can take us to a place that feels out of our routine I don't know how else to say that but you know like so I do think that there is some interconnection there for sure and Lisa I love chatting with you too it's always such a pleasure I'm such a fan and I really admire um the, the work that you've done and yeah I'm the same. I I am part of your your fan club. And when I make a lot of money, I'm going to buy all the art that I have. And I'm sitting actually right under a piece that I bought from you, the the Cuba um, ocean with the pink cloud. Oh, yeah. Carrie Shaw. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this is fitting because this is where I eat my dinner under this beautiful photo every every night. And uh, yeah, I'm hoping to get a bigger one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a beautiful one. Yeah, Aww. that's I awesome. Love it. I love it. Yeah. So yeah, I wanted to thank you for your time, and I'm so happy to like see you and hear that Gideon and Jonathan, everyone are well. And um, I, I, you have to promise me one thing that you will record and take photos of this fruit party tomorrow because I think it'll be hilarious. Okay. Um, and I'd love to maybe put put a picture in the show notes when I um, totally publish this podcast. Because <laughs> it'll be funny to see kids going like, what? What is this? Like, how do you? I yeah. will. I will. So yeah, probably you'll do that. And yeah, thanks for your time. And I will give you a big virtual hug and farewell. And hopefully we'll do the podcast next time in person. Hey, thanks for tuning into this episode of Culinary Chronicles Made with Love. Before you go, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcasting app. For more information on the show, visit ladolching.com. And for more behind the scenes, follow me on Instagram at Lisa Sanguidolce.